Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today's gospel reading at Mass is a bit of a longer one. It's from the start of Mark chapter 5. So we're looking at verses 1 to 20. Here's the passage. Jesus and his disciples reached the country of the Gerasenes on the other side of the lake. And no sooner had Jesus left the boat than a man with an unclean spirit came out from the tombs towards him. The man lived in the tombs and no one could secure him any more, even with a chain, because he had often been secured with fetters and chains, but had snapped the chains and broken the fetters, and no one had the strength to control him. All night and all day, among the tombs and in the mountains, he would howl and gash himself with stones. Catching sight of Jesus from a distance, he ran up and fell at his feet and shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear by God, you will not torture me. For Jesus had been saying to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. What is your name? Jesus asked. My name is Legion, he answered, for there are many of us. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the district. Now there was on the mountainside a great herd of pigs feeding, and the unclean spirits begged him, Send us to the pigs, let us go into them. So he gave them leave. With that, the unclean spirits came out and went into the pigs, and the herd of about two thousand pigs charged down the cliff into the lake, and they were drowned. The swine herds ran off and told their story in the town and in the country round about, and the people came to see what had really happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demoniac sitting there, clothed and in his full senses. The very man who had the legion in him before, and they were afraid. And those who had witnessed it reported what had happened to the demoniac and what had become of the pigs. Then they began to implore Jesus to leave the neighbourhood. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed begged to be allowed to stay with him. Jesus would not let him, but said to him, Go home to your people and tell them all that the Lord in his mercy has done for you. So the man went off and proceeded to spread throughout the Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. So quite a well-known passage here where the pigs run off the edge of the cliff. Uh, Primary school kids and uh, always enjoy hearing this story. So what's the context here? Jesus and his disciples have just been crossing the Sea of Galilee to get to the eastern shore. So they're crossing from the east to the west. And remember in the last story, the last part of Mark, he calmed the storm in the middle of the night. That was while they were crossing the lake. Now they've crossed the lake and they've arrived in the country of the Gerasenes, or sometimes called Gadarenes. This is a Gentile area. We need to keep that in mind throughout the entire passage. Jesus has now entered Gentile territory. These are not Jewish people. This is the first time he's entered Gentile territory in the Gospel of Mark. Verse 2, no sooner had Jesus left the boat, so as soon as they reach the shore, the man with the unclean spirit comes towards him. Probably means the spirit has detected the Messiah's presence and goes straight for him. Demons are territorial 
And so he's probably sensed Jesus there and has come to defend his territory. The man lived in the tomb. So this man appears to be completely, not even, not partially, but completely demon-possessed. And the demon is choosing to live in the tombs. Possibly, either that or the man is so uh, afraid, he knows the damage the demon can do. So he himself maybe has chosen to go out and live in the tombs. So if you go there today, even now, there's still these caves on the shoreline, and many of them were tombs that were used to bury the dead. So it's quite a creepy looking area. And demons do like to hang around in tomb areas. It says, no one could secure him anymore, even with a chain. No one had the strength to control him. So the community has tried to restrain this man that's demon-possessed, and he's quite a violent vocal demon. They've tried, but they can't restrain him. He's too strong. So the man goes and lives out in solitude. Verse 5, among the tombs and in the mountains. So this guy would just wander around the land every day. It's interesting to think, you know, maybe this man might have had a family before this happened to him. And now he just wanders around the land and he howls and gashes himself with stones. So that might seem like strange behavior, but it indicates the demon has taken over the very center of the man's personality and he's constantly tormented by the demon. So the man is, it appears, is trying to gash himself to, you know, Uh, as a way of stopping the torment, almost, that the demon's giving him. So he's more of a danger to himself than to others, it would appear. Exorcists today will tell you that in serious cases, this can happen, where you've got this kind of gashing and violence going on. So it's scary, but uh, there are... it, It is part of the literature that this kind of thing can happen in cases of serious possession. So we also learn later, it says in verse 15, that the guy's unclothed. So he hasn't got clothes on. So that's an indication that he's lost his human dignity. So the man comes up, he falls at Jesus' feet. Now that's not necessarily worship. Could just be an acknowledgement of Jesus' authority. Remember the same thing happened with the demon in chapter 1 of Mark. Falls at his feet. So it's a recognition that Jesus has authority. And he says to Jesus, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? So the demon here is talking, he's surprised and afraid that the son of the most high God has arrived on his territory. So being a supernatural creature, he knows that Jesus is the higher spiritual being. Jesus hasn't used this title of himself yet, son of the most high God, but the demon recognizes him. He might be, the demon might be using this title here to try and get control over Jesus Some scholars think that when the demons do this, they're trying to, uh, you know, because in that culture, to use someone's true name was to have power over them. So possibly that's what the demon is trying to get at. He then says to Jesus, swear by God. So the demon here is trying to get Jesus to make a promise. Swear by God that you will not torture me. So the demons know that one day God will overthrow them and torture all of them. They know that that's going to happen to them one day. That's part of the final judgment day. There's elsewhere in the Gospels where the demons say to Jesus, have you come to torture us before the time? So they know the time is coming. And the demons worried that the time has come because the Messiah has arrived. Verse 8, for Jesus had been saying to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. So Jesus has already begun trying to exercise the man by this point. 
So verse 9, now Jesus turns the tables. He says, what is your name? So Jesus wants to know the demon's name so he can have power over the demon. And exorcists today will sometimes use similar tactics. And the demon responds, my name is Legion. Legion is a Roman word meaning 6,000 men. Now, is this the demon's real name? Probably not. It's probably the demon trying to just be evasive or trying to impress Jesus with a show of power. For we are many. So we now learn that there's many demons in this man, but apparently there's one main one that speaks for them. Verse 10, he begged Jesus not to send him out of the district. So the demon recognizes that Jesus has the power to send the demons away. He knows that. But the demon wants to stay in the district, which is interesting. This uh, would imply that demons are territorial. They like to hang around certain objects or areas, and they don't like to leave them. Verse 11. There's a herd of pigs in the area, we now discover. Now, there's some people have tried to say there might be some significance here with pigs being unclean to the Jews, and so maybe the pigs represent something. I don't think that's the case. I think it's more just we don't often hear about pigs in the Gospels because the Jews didn't have pigs in the Jewish territory. But here we're in Gentile territory, so it makes sense that the Gentiles would have large herds of pigs. So there happens to be pigs nearby. And the demon begs Jesus, send us into the swine, let us enter them. So the demons would prefer to try to inhabit the swine rather than to be sent away completely. So the demons can, this an interesting thing we learn from this, demons can, though they prefer not to, inhabit the bodies of animals. Uh, although they much prefer to in, inhabit humans. Verse 13, so he gave them leave. So Jesus actually gives them permission here. Apparently, the demons could not go into the pigs unless Jesus commanded them to, or allowed them to at least. There's a bit of a mystery here as to what, you know, how exactly this would work but it appears that they need to ask Jesus' permission. And we now learn that the herd has 2,000 pigs. That's a lot of pigs. So no wonder the locals are a bit annoyed later on because they've just lost their main source of income. They charge down the hill. Now, this doesn't imply that all 2,000 pigs were each inhabited by a demon. That's not necessarily the case here. There might not be 2,000 demons. But something happens to the whole herd that spooks the whole herd, and they all run off the edge of the cliff. So notice what's going on here, though. It appears that the demons try to go into the pigs, but they can't properly control the pigs. So the pigs kind of end up being spooked and running off the edge. And so probably the demons might be destroyed in this process as well. So they run off the cliff and into the lake. So back into the Sea of Galilee that Jesus has just come out of. Verse 14, the swine herds ran off, or another translation, the herdsmen fled. So they go and tell it to everyone in the city and the country, so they spread word quickly. And it appears within a couple of hours, people are coming to Jesus to see what's happened. So Jesus stays there for a little while with the man who has been exercised. And while he's doing that, the locals hear about it and they arrive. So this is a very short time span afterwards. They saw the demoniac sitting there, clothed and in his full senses. So they know this guy. They've seen him in the, in the caves and stuff, but they haven't seen him in his right mind for a long time. 
It's significant that the man is now clothed, so that indicates his dignity has been restored. He's back to, back to normal, if you like. The locals were afraid, the text says. So they realize, they look at Jesus, they look at the man, they probably look at the pigs over the edge of the cliff, and they realize that the story was true and that Jesus has indeed cast the demons into the swine. So the witnesses see it. Now, keep in mind, these are Gentiles. They don't fully understand, you know, demons and Jewish concepts. Verse 16, these witnesses then go and tell other locals. Verse 17, then they began to implore Jesus to leave the neighborhood. So a few hours later, lots of locals have heard about it. And yeah, being a Gentile area, they don't fully understand the nature of demons and exorcisms. So the locals all hear about this. All they know really from their perspective is that this man, Jesus, has worked some sort of miracle. And now a whole lot of their pigs and a whole lot of their commercial uh, money is gone. It could also be that they recognize that Jesus is a miracle worker and they don't want to have to think about what that means. They don't want him in their land. They don't want to have to change their lives. So they ask him to leave. Uh, Now, at least they're a bit more pleasant than the people in Nazareth because remember elsewhere in Nazareth, they actually try to throw him off a cliff, (laughs) which the locals could have done here, but instead they just ask Jesus to leave and Jesus agrees to leave the area. Verse 18, as he's getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. So the man wants to become, he's grateful to Jesus for being liberated, as he would be, uh, and he wants to become a follower of Jesus, a disciple. He's ready to get into the boat with him. But verse 19, Jesus would not let him. Why? Probably because the man is a Gentile, and at this stage it's too early for Jesus to have Gentiles amongst his inner circle. Possibly. Possibly. Um, Because if he had Gentiles in the inner circle, it might mean that the Jews that Jesus has come primarily for reject Jesus if they see too many Gentiles around him. Because the Jews did not like the Gentiles. That's a possibility. But instead, Jesus gives him a different mission. He says... Go home to your people and tell them all that the Lord in his mercy has done for you. And partially to correct the false understanding that the Gerasenes have of what's happened, Jesus wants this man to go back and tell them what really happened, help them understand what they've seen. And so he does that. And the locals, remember, all they've known this man for years as being the demon Iac, and now he's going around telling people that he's been liberated. So probably this man's testimony would have borne a lot of fruit. So the man goes around to the Decapolis, which is in which means ten cities. And so that's a large if you look at a map, that's a large Greek speaking region to the east of Israel, mostly Gentile. So it's a large Gentile area area that the man goes around. So this is the first Gentile missionary in Mark. This guy goes around the Gentile land proclaiming the news about Jesus. It's the only place in Mark where Jesus tells a healed person to spread the news. Remember, most of the time, Jesus says, don't go tell anyone. But here, Jesus says, go spread the word. Although, notice, he doesn't tell the man to proclaim the identity of Jesus. Because, think about it, the Gentiles in this area may not understand what Jesus' identity is, what a Messiah is. So, Jesus doesn't tell the man to do that. 
he says, go and tell them what has been done for you. And it would appear that the man's testimony does have an impact on this area because when Jesus comes back to this area in chapter 7 of Mark, he gets a very different, more welcoming reaction. So that's an interesting connection. So another interesting thing is in verse 19, Jesus commands the man to go and proclaim what God has done for him. But as we discover in verse 20, the man ends up proclaiming what Jesus has done for him. So it's possible the man has made a connection between the two, God and Jesus. Now, there's no catechism references here. There's no direct references, although the version in Matthew of this story does have a bit to say about it in the catechism. So uh, I'd like to read out a quote here from the Catholic commentary on sacred scripture for the book of Mark. It brings together a lot of the themes of this passage really well and tells us perhaps what it means to us in our lives today. And I think it does a reasonably good job of linking this literal sense of the text with its possible application today. So this is from the Catholic commentary on sacred scripture. At first sight, the first mission of Jesus and his disciples to the Gentiles looks like a total failure. Only one person has been won over, and not a very reliable one at that. The rest of the people have made clear their desire to have no further contact with Jesus. The disciples might well have concluded at that point that Jesus should simply give up on the Decapolis and keep his ministry within the bounds of Israel. Yet, in the context of the gospel, we can see the kingdom of God breaking into this evil-infested area. This man's demons had cast a pall over the whole region, and now they are banished. The tomb-covered hills have lost their power to intimidate. The next time Jesus comes, the whole region responds to him differently, and a way is open for the healing of others. So often Jesus chooses a person we would be least likely to choose. Surely the Lord could find a more respectable, upright man to be his witness in the Decapolis. Yet he chose this man, previously known throughout the region for his degradation, now visible to all as healed and full of joy. The message he had to offer would have been very simple. See the scars? I was the guy who cut myself and howled at night. I don't do it anymore but it will be hard to imagine a more eloquent witness to Jesus' identity and saving mission. A living witness is Jesus' secret weapon, a powerful means to to begin opening people's hearts to his teaching and his works of mercy. Hearing the man's testimony, people could conclude, if Jesus can deliver this wretched man, surely he can free me too. This episode is an example of the demonstration of power that accompanies any effective proclamation of the good news. It reminds us that the most important qualification to bring people into an encounter with the living Christ is not a theology degree, but rather the ability to tell all that the Lord has done for you. So I think that's a nice uh, summary for us to think about as we finish up this podcast. Thanks again for listening. If you think people would uh, benefit from hearing this, please share it. And I'd love it if you could leave a rating on iTunes. You can send any questions you have about this passage or any other Bible questions. I'll do my best to answer them. There's an email address, logicalbiblestudy at gmail.com, or you can leave a voice message as well. That's all in the show notes. Thanks again.